Hello and welcome to this episode of the ESG Fitness Podcast. I'm a little bit jet lagged. And but and and but I've been reading a lot the last couple of days. Seems like weeks, but days. Uh a lot of this has been around menopause because we are adding a menopause section to EIQ Nutrition and also some of the talks that we, I say we as Amelia and I, as if everyone knows that we just come as one now, but that we are doing this year. So the first one being Performex, which is in London. And if you want to get a ticket, you can get it at Performex, at Performex maybe? I don't know. It's on Instagram. Anyway, one of the things I've been reading actually isn't about the menopause. It was a really cool study that was published this week, I believe, or very recently. And it looked at, or it followed, 6,000 people who did Weight Watchers. And it looked at the differences between people who successfully lost weight and people who didn't. And they asked people who successfully lost weight to describe their motivations, their strategies, their struggles, and their ultimately their successes with long-term weight management. So the study followed these 6,000 Weight Watch members, Weight Watchers members? Weight Watchers members, yes. Who had lost more than 50 pounds, no, who, who had lost on average more than 50 pounds. So I guess some people will have lost considerably more than that and some people less and and here's the important part managed to keep the weight off for three years or more I just really want to emphasize that point that successful dieting doesn't mean how much you lost in a six-week shred it means maintaining that weight loss and in this case for at least three years so a lot of the time when I'm talking to people they're like oh yeah well this worked for me in the past like I lost this amount of weight like it's not worked for you because it wasn't maintainable actually weight loss isn't particularly impressive it's weight maintenance that's impressive and anyone who listens to this podcast will probably be like yes we know Emma but do you know what there might be some new listeners let's hope we can pray that there are some new listeners and they are still interested in me blabbing on about weight maintenance being the definition of a successful diet. And that's something that we should all be focusing more on. Okay, so I'll move on now. So one of the things I loved about this study is it confirms many of my biases, uh, or at least my hypotheses, hypothesi, hypotheses about what causes successful weight loss. And actually what was quite interesting about this is that it was done on 6,000 people, right? Which was touted as a large sample size. I've worked with more than 6,000 people. So I'd just like to say that my perspective of this is also very well supported, I guess. Anyway, one of the things that came up was that successful dieters identified the key to successful dieting or successful weight loss as perseverance in the face of setbacks. So successful dieters saw setbacks as part of the process, like an inevitable part of the process not as failures. Almost, you might be thinking, oh, does that sound like something Emma says quite frequently? Almost like imperfect action, but not as catchy as imperfect action. So they embraced slip-ups as 
chances to well, actually I'm, I'm elaborating on this now I'm gonna assume that they embraced slip-ups as chances to learn and again remember that to learn from a slip-up you have to reflect on it and assess what went well what didn't go quite so well and how can I do that better next time so in a practical sense that would look like not letting these little slip-ups derail you so making better choices at the next meal if you overeat at the meal before, not waiting until the next day or until the next week or letting it derail your progress completely and thinking, what's the point in any of this? I would also add that self-reflection is so, so important here. Really asking yourself, like, what can I learn from this? How can I avoid this next time? And then, great, thank you, universe, for this lesson and blessing. And now I will move on and draw a line under it, and not beat myself up about it, and not feel guilt and shame around it. It's just part of the process. So that was the the first interesting thing. And then there were many interesting things about this. And what I quite liked about it is it looked more at, I guess, real people's experiences, but less just at the behaviours, which is what a lot of people focus on, like, oh, how many calories was it? Oh, how many times did they exercise? Oh, were they tracking, etc, etc. It did look at some of that, but it was more, you know, from real people, what did you find was most useful? What did you find was, like, the key that this time it worked for you? Because we have some previous research, and and that's shown that there are certain key behaviours that do correspond with successful fat loss maintenance so that is eating a low calorie diet high levels of physical activity frequent self-monitoring so things like weighing yourself um measuring using measurements uh, progress photos problem solving uh setting daily intake goals so that might be like tracking calories limiting your time sedentary sedentary and keeping low calorie foods available, accessible even. These are some of the the behaviors that we know from research have been at least associated with successful weight loss maintenance. And what I want to point out here is do remember that a lot of that is quite, well, it's not quite, it is generic advice. And this is based, this study anyway, is based on what worked in Weight Watchers. And I would like to think that a program like Commit to Six, which is offering far more support and far more scientific rationale behind the recommendations that we give to clients, also the ability to reach out to an experienced coach at any time, as well as all the considerations around mindset and life beyond just calorie calculate sorry cal- cal- calorie counting. I am willing to bet that it works even better for long-term weight loss and maintenance. (laughs) For long-term weightenance, which is weight loss maintenance and a word I just made up. If anyone can't tell, so I'd just like to give myself a little bit of, uh, I I don't even know what I'm saying at this point. I'm very jet lagged, but also had a large Costa, which I think is a lot of caffeine. So I'm just going to try and slow down my talking. If anyone is listening to this on double speed, it's probably like four times speed. It's going to have a mindful moment here on the podcast and I will start again. Okay, so 
despite the fact that this is quite generic advice, I still think, and that it's Weight Watchers and all the problems with Weight Watchers, I still think there's a lot to learn from this and that it's a really interesting study. And some some parts really do fit with my biases and some parts are just really, really interesting. So some of the questions that they asked were, I should actually share these probably before I started talking about it. Anyway, they spoke, they asked about weight loss triggers. So they asked, what prompted you to start your weight loss attempt? They asked about motivation. So what currently motivates you to manage your weight? They asked about advice. So what is the one piece of advice you would give to help someone to succeed at long-term weight loss, which I think is a really cool one to ask. And they asked about changes. So what is the single most important thing in your life that has changed as a result of weight loss? And the four most common tips from successful dieters were, one, perseverance is essential to overcoming inevitable setbacks. I think that's just like the golden rule. That's not just for weight loss. It's literally for anything in life. Literally. The word literally has been ruined partly by myself. But anyway, it is, what's another word for literally? I'm not going to look it up. It is fundamental to any goal, really. Perseverance, even in the face of setbacks. The second one was to take it day by day. And a quote I really like about this or a notion I really like about this is to win the day, like focus on winning the day that stops you feeling overwhelmed by how far you have to go. And I really liked this quote in particular from the study. So this was from one of the successful dieters and they said, I'm going to say she said, because it was like 97.1% female or something. Anyway, no, do you know what? I won't, I won't because I might misgender someone. So I'm going to say, they said, success is made up of lots of little decisions made every day. Show up for yourself and don't allow yourself to start quitting in small ways because they lead to quitting in everything. And you are worth the commitment and the effort. I love that. And it's a lot like one won't hurt. You know the saying, one won't hurt. So maybe you're on a diet and one of your friends is like, Oh, just have one. One won't hurt. No, of course, Julie, one biscuit won't hurt. But it's the mentality of one won't hurt that will hurt. And that's exactly what this person is saying. If you start quitting in small ways, you're kind of breaking those little promises to yourself. And that leads to quitting in big ways. And actually, it kind of makes me think of a quote that I don't actually really like. Actually, actually, actually. I don't like that much, which is, it's often used in business and it's something along the lines of the way you show up for one thing is the way you show up for everything. And I don't think that that's true. I think that if you try and show up 100%, like actually 100% to everything, you'll just burn out. Or the point is you won't be able to, you can't. You have to kind of choose the things that are important to you and turn up 100% for those and then allow yourself to either not go, like say no more often, or know that actually, do you know what? It's fine that I don't show up 100% for, I can't think of anything I don't want to show up 100% for now. Anyway, hopefully you get my gist. There are more, you, you can prioritize. And I don't think that the way you show up for one thing is necessarily the way you show up for everything. But I do think in this instance, I'm now arguing with myself 
<laughs> I do think in this instance, it kind of rings true. Like if you're telling yourself one won't hurt all the time, not only is it not only one won't hurt anymore, is it like it's actually multiple times a day, that probably will hurt. That, that will add up. So it's the mentality of, it's not the action of sort of quote, unquote, as this person said, like quitting in small ways, but it, it's the mentality behind that. And essentially it's breaking that promise you've made to yourself. And number three was use support groups to reset your mindset. And I thought this quote, again, from someone on the study, um, was absolute gold on mindset. Don't think of it as being on a diet. Think of it as changing your eating habits as part of creating a healthy lifestyle. Also, it's okay to eat foods that you really like. Even if they are higher calorie once in a while, it might slow your progress a bit, but it means that you won't resent the process. Some of these quotes are really, really good and really insightful. Okay, so the fourth one is embrace the long, sorry, embrace the process of long-term goals. And a quote that I loved from this section was, go ahead and accept that this will be a lifetime of effort and attention. And this is my favorite bit because I love an analogy. You wouldn't expect to do the laundry one time and it be done. If you want to lose weight and maintain it, you have to keep doing the work. It's still better than being in pain and unhappy all of the time. That is a great analogy, I think. And also, I'm sorry, but when did Weight Watch members become philosophers? Some of these are very profound. I have a few more coming up that I've noted down, so maybe I'll fit them in. Uh, Some of the other key attributes of successful dieters included looking back at experiences of life at higher weight, which to me almost seems a little bit like self-shame, so I wasn't a huge fan of that. I guess, as with anything, it kind of depends on your mindset. So it's not inherently the action that's bad, it's your mindset behind it. So if you're looking back and you feel pride for how far you've come and you want to continue from a, pa- a place of kind of like positivity, then fantastic. That's a brilliant way to motivate yourself. But if you're looking back and you hate your previous self and you have no compassion for your previous self and you're sort of trying to hate yourself or shame yourself into change. I don't think that's, I don't think that's useful. Now, whether it works or not, is a completely different question. But my point is, even if it is conducive to maintaining your weight loss, how happy would you be with that mindset? And really, if you're not happy, what, like, what's the point? It doesn't have to be done in that way. So I, I would question that a little bit. One thing that I did like was the focus on health as a driver for motivating fat loss. That came up a lot. And another thing that came up quite often actually was consistency in food tracking. And again, this is something I don't know. I'm just going to say this is something I would dispute. And I don't know if it's even dispute because maybe it works. But I would be cautious to recommend this because most people don't want to track their food intake for the rest of their lives, nor do they need to. And I've used this analogy before, but once you know where you're going, you can turn off the sat-nav. Like you don't need to keep having annoying sat-nav lady telling you where to go. You don't need to have my fitness pal telling you the calories and every single thing that you eat. There is no need for it. 
you don't need to track food to be aware and to be accountable to what you're putting in your body, which is really the key there. It's the accountability and it's the awareness. And we often rely too much on MyFitnessPal or whatever tracking and we stop trusting ourselves. And a good question is, why is it we eat more when we aren't tracking? Because you can't lie to energy balance. It's like, is it like it's like being alone with one friend and farting and insisting that it wasn't you. Like you both know that you're lying. And the same is true with overeating it, because you're not tracking. Just because it's not on my fitness pal, it doesn't mean it doesn't count. Like the calories still count, even if you don't put them into the app. And the only way that you can put on fat is by consuming more energy than you need or by moving less. The sooner that you accept that as a reality, the sooner you can take ownership for your actions and your results. And that is empowering as hell because then you have control. Your actions equal your results. And when you take that ownership, everything changes. Another really interesting question that they asked was on the side effects, I guess, of weight loss. And something that came up quite often, which I loved, was, this is a quote, my attitude to taking on new challenges. I now have confidence that I can achieve things I set my mind to, like losing weight or pursuing an academic, pursuing an academic, oh, that is actually what it says, or professional, oh, right, okay. Stop too soon, sorry. Punctuation reading, clearly not my strong point. She wasn't pursuing an academic. She was pursuing an academic or professional goal, okay? Sorry, guys. And then another quote is, my confidence in myself. I learned that when I put my mind to it, I can accomplish anything. And we see this a lot, and it's an amazing unintended impact or side effects of weight loss. And I've spoken about how weight loss can increase self-efficacy before, i.e. the ability, the belief in your ability to complete a task, to basically to achieve something. And for many people, weight loss is really hard and it's so personal, like it is your body. And if you don't feel in control of that, then that can really have a knock-on effect on your confidence in all areas. But when you achieve something that you have potentially been struggling with, for your whole life, that can have an incredible impact on your confidence. You show up better in all areas of your life. Even the act of investing time and effort and money into yourself, you are effectively telling yourself, you are worth this. I am worth investing time, effort and money into. And you're telling yourself that you're going to show up for yourself because you are important. And it's really hard to invest in yourself. And just by doing that changes so much of your mindset. I think so many people struggle to invest in themselves. And people find, even, even if we're talking about investments, like it's, very, it's so much easier to invest in something else. And I've struggled with this mentally from like a business perspective. I'm like, oh yeah, but I'd rather put it in a I don't know, an ISA or something, because then I don't have to look at it, I don't have to touch it, and it just does something on its own, rather than reinvesting into your business, which is really scary. And the reason it's really scary is because you have to do it. Like, you have to show up for that. 
if you're, I don't know, if I reinvest by taking on another coach, like I have to make that happen. I have to do the work. I have to make sure they've got clients. That's on me. I have to put in effort. And it's the same when you invest in a coach, like you know that you have to put in the effort. Yeah, I'm putting this money on the line and I have to make sure that that's an investment, not a cost. And the difference between an investment and a cost is that an investment, you want a good rate of return on investment. Now, I would argue if you pay for coaching and you manage to lose a ton of weight and improve your life and improve your confidence and you're happier and you're healthier, that is the best return on investment you can get. Obviously, most people look at return on investment in terms of how much money have you put in and how much money will you get out. And it's slightly different with things like coaching or with therapy or with reinvesting into yourself. Okay, I've gone on a bit of a tangent. Um, Another quote on this was self-confidence. As a fellow meeting member said, a friend told her, and I quote, you look taller. And she said, that's how I feel. How awesome is that? Like you even look taller because you're exuding confidence. I love that. And this one, this one really got me. Well, it's quite an emotional one, but this is a, I guess, a side effect or like a really a direct side effect of losing weight for this individual. And that was losing the fear that defined me for most of my life. The fear of going to a restaurant and knowing that I wouldn't fit in the seat. The fear of flying and knowing that I'd have to ask for the quote-unquote elephant belt. The fear of not finding a parking space close enough to the shop where I wanted to go. The fear of walking or running too far because I may not make it back. And I think that like, that really sums up how life-changing losing a lot of body fat can be. And there was also a lot on walking and exercising without pain which reminded me a little bit of a video that we were chatting about in the Commit to Six Coaches group. Um, When I say coaches group, I mean WhatsApp chat. Uh, And it was like quite a big time coach on Instagram who had put up a plyometric hops. Looked like an athlete doing it. I don't know if it was the, the person's Instagram that was doing it, but they said, this is better for weight loss than squats. (laughs) And I was just thinking, You'd have to be insane to ask an overweight client to do that. It just screams, I have never worked with an overweight person in my life and I have zero ability to put myself into someone else's shoes and see how that might feel. And and maybe some consideration of exercise selection. But anyway, what came up a lot was reduced pain in movement. And another quote, as I said, some of these quotes are phenomenal. My overall attitude about myself was a byproduct. I cannot stress how much better I feel mentally and that affects every aspect of my life. I'm I'm talking about a quote-unquote feeling of power or being alive, of mental well-being. And a lot reading through a lot of these, it made me think I would really love some of the really strong proponents of anti-diet to read these quotes and to speak to these people who have completely changed their lives for the better both physically and mentally and there is there's often this like half dichotomy it's not even half dichotomy there's this dichotomy that's created between mental and physical health uh especially when it comes to dieting and like 
I was going to say totally get it, but I kind of get it. If we're talking about over-restrictive diets, hating yourself into change, kind of diet culture stuff, then I get it. That's definitely going to negatively impact your mental health. But dieting from a positive place can be life-changing. And look how life-changing even Weight Watchers is. Like, I think that's quite encouraging that we know that as coaches, we give a much better service than that. And we support people in a much better way than that. And we we also explain the real science behind these things. So there's a full understanding. And thus, the benefit to people can be far greater. And dieting can be life-changing in the best possible way when it's done right. And it should be done from a positive place, not a negative place. And it should have a positive impact on your life, not a negative impact on your life. And one of the fundamental things that was mentioned when it came to people who noted what helped them most, and that was support, surprisingly enough. And this is something I see daily running group training programs. Group coaching and I want to put this on like a billboard, but group coaching is not a lower tier offer to one-to-one. Like it's, it has its own distinct benefits. It's not just, oh, you can't afford one-to-one. Why don't you try group coaching? No, 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 no. Group coaching is better for some people. Anyone who has done group coaching will see this. The support from peers is priceless. It's hard to put into words if you haven't experienced it. And I think like there were a few quotes from the study that mentioned this. So one of them was, where is it? One thing I wasn't able to express is how important my personal support has been. Maybe not always from my spouse or family members, but from other Weight Watchers members and friends. And someone else is saying, the support found in the meetings and relationships with other Weight Watchers members has been instrumental in keeping me accountable and maintaining my weight loss. And this echoes... 99% of the feedback that we get from the easy method and commit to six like almost everyone mentions the group and this is why I've modeled commit to six on a hybrid between between (laughs) between one-to-one coaching and group coaching because I wanted to get the best of both worlds I wanted to be able to offer one-to-one support and group support because it's one thing hearing me or your coach tell you to trust the process. But it's quite another thing having reassurance from peers. And key examples of this are things like scale weight, which can be a huge head F for so many people. And I can explain that the scales don't represent fat loss numerous times. I can offer some reassurance. Jeez, I can't speak today. But having the addition of... Sarah posting her weight loss over time and you seeing peaks and troughs in that and Annabelle adding in that her weight went up last week but then this week was the lowest weight she's ever had as an adult and it makes you fully believe in the process and thus it makes you not give up and it's the not giving up part that gets you results. It's the not giving up every time the scales don't go down, that's what gets you results. That's what makes you continue long enough to actually see the fruition of your efforts, to actually see fat loss. And the same, another key example of this and reassurance is increasing calories. A lot, and I mean a lot, a lot of clients come to me trying to stick to 1200 calories and not losing weight. Why, you might be asking? 
Is it because their calories are too low and their body is in starvation mode and is magically storing calories out of thin air? No, it's because 1200 calories is really damn hard to stick to, especially long term. And then they end up overeating because that's a totally normal and natural response to over-restriction. If you over-restrict, the likelihood is you will overindulge. That's basically bred into us. It's not even basically bred into us. It's genetically bred into us. As humans, starvation has always been a bigger threat to us than obesity, which means that we're driven to overeat. So you are really working against your own genetic drive when you're trying to lose body fat like it's hard so if you over restrict that swings back the other way with overindulgence so when I ask clients to bring up their calories they're obviously a little bit scared because logically you're asking me to increase my calories I understand energy balance you're asking me to increase my calories to lose weight that doesn't make any sense but actually what happens is you're more satiated and you're able to actually stick to your calories, which means you end up not overeating. And then you create a bigger deficit over time, which means you have more successful fat loss. And this requires like some reassurance, like a hell of a lot of reassurance. And the additional reassurance that you get from your peers someone saying like, yes, this was exactly me. I was exactly in your shoes, but now I'm losing weight on 1800 calories. Please trust the process. Like give this a try. I feel so much better because I'm not constantly beating myself up and trying to stick to ridiculously low calories. That reassurance is so important. And that horrible cycle of over restriction and then overindulgence is exhausting. It's the most tiring thing. I don't want anyone to feel like they're stuck in that. And I'm particularly passionate about this because it's so demoralizing and it can make you feel like fat loss is impossible and it's not. And it's not through lack of effort. It's not that you're not trying hard enough. It's misplaced effort. Trying to stick to really low calories is hard. It's harder than sticking to moderate calories. Even if you are overeating on other days, you're making it harder than it needs to be. And it's harder because you're putting in so much effort on those days. And it's even harder because you're not actually getting results from those efforts. And it's exhausting to be in this constant cycle of over-restriction and over-indulgence, especially one fueled by beating yourself up for overeating. Because that's often what fuels the next couple of days of over-restriction is, oh, I feel so bad about myself for overeating on that day. I'm going to really, really push myself to restrict. And when you realize and accept, like, it's completely normal and somewhat inevitable to overeat if you've been massively over-restricting. Like, there's no shame in that. There shouldn't be any guilt in that. It's actually, you know, I would be the same if I was over-restricting. Uh, if I was over-restricting. It's a normal human response. Whereas if you set up a more sensible calorie target and you can stick to that, and you can fuel your body, and you're working with your body, that's very different. I'm fueling my body. I'm putting good stuff in my body. I'm not basically seeing how long I can survive on as little calories as possible. I'm fueling my body to thrive. I always cringe a little bit when I say that, but actually, I really think that people resonate with, you're trying to thrive, not survive. 
That's a very different mentality to dieting. And so I'm not surprised that people are feel really like burnt out and exhausted by dieting when they're trying to stick to such low calories. And I would feel the exact same. I would feel like giving up if I was putting in that level of effort and not getting the results. I'm not seeing any results for it. And please, if that does sound like you, please do reach out. I reply to every single message that I get. So you can email me, esg at esgfitness.co.uk, or I'm probably most responsive on Instagram, which is at esgfitness. And if I can help you, I absolutely will. I hope that this episode, although it's been a little bit all over the place, I apologise. I got quite excited, obviously, reading that paper and reading that study and then had too much caffeine and then I thought, oh, it's a great idea to do a podcast right now. And I don't know if it was, but hopefully you enjoy it anyway. If you have been compelled to want to experience group coaching, then go and have a look at esgfitness.co.uk. And if you want to talk to me, if you want to give any feedback, if you want to rate the podcast, that'd be amazing. I know you can do it on Spotify now. If you have listened and you want to share, I love it when you screenshot and share. I won't ask you to do anything else apart from just have lovely days, be present, be mindful, enjoy life, smell the flowers, all of the good things. Goodbye.